Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hashem Montasim. Last week, the Michelin Guide, one of the most coveted guides, announced their entry into the Dubai F&B scene. The guide dates back to 1889, when the Michelin brothers started their famous tire company and, for decades, had ruled both gastronomic France and, by extension, most of the culinary world. This is its first selection for the Middle East and comes hot on the heels of the region getting into its first MENA 50 Best Awards and Gohan Mio's announcement that they will enter the Middle East as well. So this is getting really hot. Now, in case you haven't checked it out already, we have a two-episode special behind the scenes about the MENA 50 Best Awards. Today, we're bringing an exclusive interview with international director for the Michelin Guide, Gwendel Pulenek, whom we met at the Lighthouse D3. We also have a surprise behind the mic today. I'm joined by friend of the show, the award-winning food writer Fudiva, as my co-host for the episode. Well, hello, Samantha, and happy hello. birthday. Thank you. Good morning. Did you have a lot of festivities over the weekend ahead of your birthday? I did, yes, because my birthday's on a Monday. So That's yeah. great. I hope you had a nice celebration. So let's go into it. First of all, thank you for being here. This is a lot more fun. Usually I'm the lonely host, and I feel a lot less lonely having you on board. Uh, and I enjoyed our first of hopefully many episodes. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely honored um, to be co-hosting or co-interviewing this one with you so yeah no I think it's it's fantastic yeah and I hope let's see let's see what the response yes. is maybe we'll do more I compared us to um which I don't know how many people got the reference but I compared us to Kara Swisher and uh Scott Galloway um and Kara Swisher wears these like you know radar avatar glasses a uh, Ray-Ban sorry avatar glasses Actually, I've got Ray-Bans oh so you know yeah. I just Shall feel I put like them on? Yeah. well you'll have to think about your look now that we're doing yeah. this I think the look is key I wore for your birthday non-black and, today. And what have I done today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that's what we'll do. You will be Hasha and I'll be Samantha. So let's get into it. Um, so first of all, what did you think of, of having Michelin here, that they're finally coming to Dubai? What did you think of the whole announcement? Well, I think it was... Um, probably Dubai, one of Dubai's worst secrets, actually, because it's been in the making. There were rumors like over five years ago. I mean, I even first wrote about it 10 years ago, actually, when I double checked the dates. But I think it's fantastic news um, for, for Dubai and for the wider region, even though the guide will be limited to Dubai at, at this stage. So obviously we had 50 best, as you said um, earlier, and Gilt Milo is coming. But I think, yeah, Michelin is, is huge. It has that global recognition, the history and heritage that goes behind it. So I, I think it's a great platform to um, establish Dubai on the global map, but also as well to help raise restaurant standards and consistency, which was a key aspect of what Gwendal was saying with the um, criteria. You know, it's so interesting. By chance, I was reading the last couple of uh, uh, days, I, I shared this with you offline, a book which we'll share in the share notes about a guy called Craig Claiborne, who was the first real food critic for the New York Times. And it was so interesting to see those, some, some parallels to what we're seeing in Dubai. Craig really raised the profile of food in general in American consciousness and American households. After him came Julia Childs and then many others that really kind of spoke about fine dining and, and, and at the time mostly focused on French cuisine. Uh, 
And it reminds me a little bit of Dubai at the moment we're in, which is very pivotal, of bringing in all these guides now and finally seeing what we as insiders, if you will, or people that live here have seen for a long time, which is Dubai has had quite an advanced and refined, and not just refined meaning fine dining, but sophisticated food scene for quite some time. There was an article on the, on the Wall Street Journal this, uh, uh, a couple of days ago as well about the same thing. And I'm very happy uh, to see that we are moving away from a, what I think is a bit of a trope as Dubai being just glitz and restaurants that are essentially, you know, big names that are coming here, showing up once a year, doing their restaurant and running away, which I think we've known, we've moved away from for some time now. Finally, the guides, I think, are cementing that reputation, which, frankly, I feel is very well earned. 100%. And we saw that with 50 Best, with um, the, the number of homegrown independent concepts in that list. Yes, there were a few of those imported, but the balance was actually um, much more homegrown. And I hope that Michelin... Um, when that guide comes out in June, will reflect the maturity of the scene here. Before we go into the episode, I want to just ask you one more thing. You brought it up in one of your posts over the weekend about the role that essentially, let's call it governments, uh, play to promote their food scene. Um, we've seen Abu Dhabi sponsor Mena 50 Best. We've seen now Dubai Tourism sponsor um, this guide, Michelin Guide. How do you feel about this evolution? Do you feel that those sort of government bodies have a role to play in promoting their gastronomical prowesses and the F&B scene? A hundred percent. I mean, and that's what culinary tourism is. So I think the fact that perhaps initially, yes, when these guides launched, there was no particular sponsorship. Revenue was made through other, other means. The business plans were different. But um, I think at the end of the day, we do live in a commercial world. Yes. And I, I do think that um, a tourism board sponsoring a guide um, is actually quite credible, really, because culinary tourism, as we know in this case, is one of Dubai's um, pillars as well. They've had the Dubai Food Festival that they launched a few years ago. It's certainly a better way to um, make your revenue rather than through um, selling tables or, or asking yeah, restaurants to pay to enter. So that's interesting. So would you rather see a Dubai tourism or an Abu Dhabi tourism sponsor um, those types of awards versus a Pellegrino, like they have it with Mena 50 Best globally, you know, or a Uber or Karim, I mean, like a private company? You think that that could create conflict? I, I have no issues with that at all. If they want to bring in other okay. non-restaurant related right. businesses, but perhaps within the wider F&B field, 100%, as okay. long as there's no requirement for those restaurants to serve San Pellegrino, for instance. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and there, there was a lot of discussion. There's been About a lot of San discussion Pellegrino. over the years um, with 50 Best and that. But um, that's certainly not the case when you look at the, the recent Mina 50 Best ranking. Yes. So um, absolutely no issues. You know, I, I, run a, I run a small business. I know the value of, of um, adding... Um, of having a commercial entity to your business. Yeah. So, and yes, having sponsors. And, and having sponsors on board. So 100%, if it's as, as long as it's not um, a restaurant that is on that list that is having to put something on the table, then I think that's perfectly fine. But I think tourism boards overall, 
it's, it's a natural strategy for them to, to look at these guides and perhaps think, okay, um, who can we bring here? I yeah. agree. I think it would be very interesting at some point to bring someone from those tourism boards to speak to us and give us their perspective so we can sort of guess what they had in mind. But I would be very curious to know whether really is it very high up on their agenda and was this something that was many years in the making or something that they decided to do post-COVID. So anyway, maybe in, uh, in our future we'll have some guests from Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I think we should bring Isam in. Isam is from the tourism board here. Yes. Yeah. All yeah. right, Isam, yeah, if you're listening. Up, he if you're listening. Dubai tourism, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, if you're listening, uh, we will be calling you soon. Okay, let's get into our conversation with Gwendol then. Wendell, welcome to The Lighthouse and our podcast. We're so happy to have you today. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for making the time. You've had a very busy and active trip. We want to ask you just to clear the deck, so to speak, and understand, walk us through the criteria by which Michelin works. How do you award your stars? What are the criteria that matter to you as a guide in terms of um, rating restaurants? As you know, there are five. First is the quality of the products. The second one is the mastery of uh, cooking techniques. Third one is the harmony, balance in flavor. I mean by that, the taste. Then we have the personality of the chef, you know, as expressed on the plate. And the last and not least, the consistency. Those five criteria apply to the stars as well as the Bib Gourmand? All the restaurants. But let's say, you know, the star of the ultimate dining experience. So they are the very best restaurants in the world. Yeah. I'm gonna, this is a side yeah. story. I grew up in Egypt and going from Cairo to Alexandria, there was this, always that big Michelin um, sign yeah. with that tire. They're still there. I was there yes, in Cairo Yes, and we literally December. grew up with there. it. So it's yeah. like, was integral yeah. part of our, I think, childhood. Aren't you lucky that they have such a cool mascot? Of course we are, <laughs> but you know, you, you know, Bibi and them uh, maybe look like a Michelin guide inspector. Ah, interesting. Okay. No, no, jo no, no, joking, no, no, of course. Now we have a profile. <laughs> yeah. So the rating is essentially about what's on the plate. And I was telling you, for example, when we started the Lighthouse five years ago, very much part of the approach was obviously high quality of food, but ambiance, interior design, playlists, art, all of that. Yet you anchor your guide very deliberately towards food and what's on the plate. Y yes, uh, going to the restaurant is uh, definitely an holistic experience. When uh, it comes to the Michelin Guide and uh, the stars, it's all and solely about the quality of the food and the five Why? criteria. You know, be because uh, it's uh, basically universal criteria and you, be, uh, you are able to award uh, the restaurants based on their quality, regardless of the culture. On that front, how does service come into play? Because actually I was with the understanding that when it came to three-star, and I know you're going to um, correct me on it, service came into play as one of the criteria, but it doesn't as such. Obviously, in some cases, uh, good food and good service uh, comes together. But again, all focus is the quality of the food. And uh, to share a simple example, uh, if uh, you go to a Japanese traditional sushi restaurants, okay, the sushi master will be the one, you know, making, uh, making the service and can be a very simple place. And we can as well, you know, award uh, stars uh, in very simple eateries, for example, street food. When, we, when the layman thinks of Michelin, you think about 
more elevated restaurants, let, let me put it that way. Um, so I'm very curious to understand the, the, the street food angle here. Was that always there or that's something you guys brought in more recently? Again, back to the quality of the food. And uh, our inspector, when they're on the field, they basically left no stone unturned. And regardless of the type of restaurants, uh, the cooking style, the localization, the, the service uh, settings and nationality, they will really focus on the quality of the food and you can be a star with a tapas bar, was a street food store or a fine dining uh, restaurant. Was that always the case? Within the mission guide, yeah. you, all, you always have had, you know, very simple and casual eateries. And today, for example, when we focus on the value for money we, with the Bib government, you know, in some cases, it's a very simple and formal service. So does that mean that we're likely to potentially see in old Dubai and Karama and Deira some of those restaurants potentially making the cut? It's a bit too early to say because the selection will be revealed in two months. But let's say we are really open-minded. How cheeky of Samantha. She was trying to trick you, you know yeah. But okay. You didn't fall for it. Good. Can you talk about the green? Just a little bit. So the Green Star was introduced uh, three years ago. It's about you know the sustainable commitments of the chefs and their teams. You know, it's uh, what they are doing to make not only their restaurants but even the world changed. Today we are awarding uh, just a little bit over 300 uh, Green Star. You know, throughout the world, and uh, it's uh, really a highlight for the real role models when it comes uh, to sustainable gastronomy. Essentially, if you feel that there are restaurants here that warrant that, they might get a green star. If there aren't, they don't get oh, oh, Of course, you know, we apply everywhere the same criteria. It was the same approach for the stars, the same criteria for the stars, the same approach for the green star. It's really based uh, on the knowledge, on the experience on the field, from our team of inspectors, and we ensure that we are always consistent. One star in Dubai will be worse, one star in Paris or in New York. And that's the same for the Green Star. And just uh, to be clear about that, the Green Star can also be awarded, can um, put a spotlight on a different style of restaurants. It can be a star restaurant or a non-star restaurant listed by the mission okay, guide. That's really interesting. Okay. And uh, Michelin, to award a green star, we go obviously on the field. It's really a team decision. And to come back to the mission guide decision, I think it's important again to, to explain that it's never a one-man show. You know, it's always team collegiate decisions. That's a way to ensure the consistency. Do you vote? Uh, it's a really an open discussion, you know, okay. open book discussion to, to find a, a team alignment. Do you eat while you make these discussions or not? No. <laughs> you do it it's, hungry, that's We funny. don't do it in a restaurant, obviously. <laughs> because, okay, that's uh, the most secret part of the mission in, guide. You order into your offices while you're having the discussion? <laughs> Normally, we do break to eat outside properly. We are not looking for names. I am very curious about your overall impression of this market. So in this, these very early days, because we'd love to come back to you in five years and get a second you know, look at this. You've been covering this market for the last couple of years, you've mentioned. Um, give us just a glimpse of your overall impressions of the market here. But what the inspectors on the field have been witnessing is, of course, you know, the increase 
of the number of, of restaurants, uh, but uh, not only of course. What is important for us is increasing the quality in the diversity of the offer. Uh, we discussed already about that. It's also having some homegrown concepts. You know, a local identity is not just a copy and paste uh, reference. So it's about the personality of the chef and teams, uh, you know, behind and operating uh, the, the, the restaurants. And also, uh, we have been quite impressed by the radical change in the value for money, you know. So you can get a really fair treatment. You can get a good food experience for, uh, again, a, a, a fair price. Is it fair to say that you've seen that accelerate over the last couple of years, especially the concept, so we were talking about this earlier, of homegrown concepts. I mean, five years ago, we could count the number of homegrown concepts on one hand. You know, Samantha and her Fodiva blog and reviews were really instrumental in focusing on homegrown from day one. Homegrown, homegrown, homegrown. But at the time, frankly, that market was there, very limited. There wasn't limited. a lot of yeah. content. So it was like yeah. she would run out of content. And today, that's you know, you look at her list today, yeah. it's a much, much larger list. Can you walk us a little bit through if that's been also your, your observation? Obviously, one of the trademarks of the local Dubai culinary scene is the diversity. But uh, yes, when in terms, uh, it, it comes to a local homegrown concept, you have more and more. And I think it's adding to Dubai a distinctive flavors. When you say homegrown, is it also local flavors? In other words, is there a particular focus on Emirati or Middle Eastern because we are in the Middle East? Uh, and I'm, I'm generalizing this elsewhere. So if you go to Thailand, is there a focus on just pure excellence or also, you know, let's find a couple of Thai restaurants because we are in Thailand. Is that part of the focus? You know, at the Mission Guide, we have no setup numbers. I mean, okay. no quota uh, according For to anything. the type of food. So we are really open-minded and we will really focus again on the quality of the food regardless of the style. I remember a few years ago, and this was part of when the rumors first started that Michelin was looking at Dubai, there was an ad for a Michelin inspector that was seen and shared, whether it was factual or not, who knows. But how, do you, when you're going into a new destination, you obviously have your roster and your of, of inspectors. Do you recruit additional inspectors? Are some of them based here? How, how does that work? Well, of course, we are recruiting uh, new inspectors because the Mission Guide is expanding. And, you know, not only in Dubai, we have been opening uh, new culinary uh, destinations over the past year. So we are expanding our footprint. So we need additional resources because uh, you, have to, you have to eat. And, you know, uh, an inspector is eating 300 meals a year. That's a lot, but the more restaurant you add, the more inspectors you need. Do you pair it up with a gym subscription? <laughs> I, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> they have to stay slim. I don't know how you look like that. Then you know, we are just eating in the right places. How many your... meals a day on average? Would, would they do two meals uh, a day? On, on or a working they, days, they... Two, two meals a day. L yeah. Lunch and yeah. dinner. You know, again, it's a full-time job. Yeah. They are professional with a background uh, in the industry. Then they have to remain anonymous to travel the world. Can and I submit my application? Yeah. But I that won't could be, be That could be your retirement yeah. plan, Hashem. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to be anonymous. I'd like to be seen and feted and, you know, be called a well-traveled gourmet. But if you don't mind, I will so, submit. Uh, yes, but you, you said it already. Uh, uh, I'm afraid you won't be fit for the job for that only reasons, you know. We, <laughs> Literally you, fit for the job. You no, know, but you, you, you have to remain anonymous. anonymous and. Yeah. and 
And the purpose, the, the purpose of it is uh, really to ensure that there is no bias, that you uh, are acting, behaving like a regular guest. I just want to touch on something else. It's a little bit of a, a pet peeve of mine. I've written about it extensively. But how do you feel about the fact that stars are attributed to the restaurants, as we know, yet many chefs label themselves, um, their PR do it, their, the media does it, a Michelin chef, even when they've left the restaurant, because that's factually incorrect. How do you personally and how do you as Michelin feel about that? You said it perfectly. The star are not awarded to a chef, but uh, they are awarded basically to a team working in a place or in a restaurant. Okay? So uh, a chef cannot boast, you know, having uh, stars everywhere in the world. It's, uh, he can say, okay, all team, you know, as one, two or three star together with the name of the restaurant. But they still go on and call themselves Michelin chef, even once they've does left the restaurant. You? Yeah, does it? Yeah. No, but you, you know, in a way, the, the chef are also the spokesperson. person. They are leading their team, they are the managers, they are leading the creativity. So uh, we, we love to put uh, the spotlight on the doers. So, so you don't mind them yeah. labeling themselves the three-star Michelin? Or... For us, what is important is that we are not misleading the gourmet and the clients. When we come back, we'll get into Gwendol's personal journey within the Michelin Guide and their shift to digital. That's right after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to The Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Hashem Montasser. I'm Samantha Wood, your co-host for this episode with our special guest, Gwendol Pulanek. Gwendol, can we focus for a second on your own personal journey? You've been with Michelin for a long time. 17 years. 17 years. Wow, that's a very long time. Uh, eating two meals a day for 17 years. Um, <laughs> so let's go back to 17 years ago. What made you take this job? What brought you in? But first, you know, uh, I apply. Uh, to join the Mission Guide team. So it's wow. where, because I was first, of course, passionate about food, I wanted really to explore all the culinary cultures, you know, so to, to, to travel the, the, the world. And for me, a new company was providing the best opportunity to put, to put all that together. Throughout your tenure, you spent a good chunk of time, I think 12 years, uh, from my research on the digital side of Michelin as well. So walk us a little bit through this, because obviously the guide back in the day was literally, you know, a guide that we would take with us. Today, the entire world has moved digital. Was that um, your own personal initiative to understand that for Michelin to not only survive, but thrive, the digital initiative was important? Or was it a company plan? Or how did that go about? At Michelin, everything is about teamwork. You know, so, uh, but uh, moving uh, digital uh, was uh, an obvi obvious choice for Michelin. And today, uh, with the website, with the app, you can, uh, you know, have easy access and uh, for free to all the best uh, restaurants in the world in different languages. So it's uh, important for Michelin not to only to highlight the best places, but to, sh to share the world with the world. I have to say, when I heard that there wasn't going to be a, a print guide, I was, there's a little bit of me that was, I want, because I, I literally, I am the person that if I go to a new destination, I buy, I have all, I should have brought them today, all my Michelin guides from different countries, I make notes on them. Clearly I'm a little bit old school, 
um, and we need to move with the times. And I run a website. I don't run a, a magazine. Um, so I understand the value of online. You're very really astute on social media. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Say. I'll have to pay you a compliment now. <laughs> Not really. Well, travel gourmand. Um, <laughs> so... Do you, I mean, is it, is it purely, is it, is it a cost decision? Is it the fact that everything, um, you can obviously make changes online? But the fact is, Michelin, the ratings come out once a year anyway. So actually, your guide is not going to be out of date if it was printed. Um, what, what's, what's the, explain the thinking behind that. And does this apply to all countries or just Dubai? Let's say that obviously we are still keeping some of our, some of our iconic you know, a Michelin Guide uh, paper edition like in France, for, for, for example, because uh, we have readers uh, for, for, for that. Uh, then again, um, with the Michelin Guide, we are willing to address a wide audience. And it's much easier to do it uh, through the digital. And today, the Michelin Guide is digital when we are talking about the people using it on a daily basis. So in June... Um, the first um, guide will be unveiled. Does that mean moving forward it will be every June or are you going to change the timing? Basically, you know, the ratings are updated every year. Uh, so uh, whether it be, be uh, around June, most probably. Right. But uh, at the exact date, I don't know. Uh, we used to say that a mission guide is a yearly rendezvous. I like yearly that. I like that. Or do you have yeah. a set number in mind usually? Surely, when you go into a new market, you need to know that there's enough content there to warrant a guide, no? Obviously, that's that also the reason one, uh, we have been, you know, monitoring the evolution of the local culinary scene for years. Yeah. And that's also the reason why we decided to move forward with the, the first election for Dubai is because the, there are enough quality uh, restaurants and also because we feel the vibe. You know, what is important is not the past is the future. And we, we see that the future, the future of lo local gastronomy here in Dubai looks very bright. And uh, we are pleased to be part of uh, a new uh, positive emulation. So can we expect then a continuation into other Emirates like Abu Dhabi or possibly other countries like Saudi or Egypt that also have a, a vibrant up and coming you know, restaurant scene? Here it's obviously the first step of the mission guide uh, to the Middle East. And it's the first, very first step in Dubai. Okay, so we also hope that there will be more and more quality restaurants in Dubai to open in the coming years. What about other non-Dubai destinations? I'll push again. I have no projects, uh, you know, announcement to make uh, today. But uh, you can be sure that, of course, our inspectors are already scouting new potential destinations. So we should be on the lookout for your inspectors. If they drop the napkin on the on the floor, that, oh, that, yes. that, that, that's the old, uh, yes, the yeah, old trick. The old trick. Do you drop yeah. the napkin? Okay. No, with a bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, the the inspectors they, they just behave like uh, any other regular guest. You know, that's uh, part of their daily work. How would you say Michelin differentiates from Fifty Best? Again, for the purpose of our listeners, I think the industry knows but the general sort of consumer, how would you differentiate yourself? Well, let's say that the Mission Guide is uh, you know, sharing a wide selection of restaurants, 15,000 restaurants being listed by the inspectors uh, around the world. 
uh, with uh, more than 3,000 star restaurants. So we have a wide uh, offer with, uh, you know, practical uh, digital services, you know, not only to be able to, to find, to filter, to find the right address to, uh, to, uh, to meet your taste, but also to, to book to the restaurant, so it's a whole service. When we go to a new city, I mean, at least I can speak about myself. I think Samantha will share my view. You look at high and low. You know, you want to get some, you know, more refined experiences, but you also want to go to the holes in the wall, etc. You are now covering both, essentially, right? But some criteria, especially when you look at something, a place like Dubai, for example, we have a differentiation you don't see in that many places of licensed and unlicensed. You know, some serve alcohol, some do not. How does that factor in? Because if you're looking at a food-centric experience paired with a beverage or not paired with a beverage would make a difference. How do you kind of equalize those? Let's say we would just focus on the quality of uh, the food experience, but uh, we can respect, you know, the different uh, concept. And there are some cultures when you do not have a wine pairing. You know, it can be a, a soft drink pairing, a tea pairing, for example, and there are more and more. So if you look into that pairing, is that part that does factor When in? it's uh, really, you know, part of the food experience, uh, when it comes together, that's really part of the food concept of the restaurants. And again, uh, we are, we are open-minded. Uh, and uh, for sure, there would be, in the years to come, uh, new concepts that uh, we will experiment. When you think about the Michelin Guide, Gwendol, so when we started the Lighthouse five years ago, one of our main value drivers was... A, a timeless experience. That word can be misconstrued, but essentially, whether it's decor, food, etc., I didn't want to focus on trends. I wanted to focus on something that is as contemporary and current today as it would be 10 years from now. You guys have achieved this in a very, very big way. I have to say congratulations. I mean, this guide has been part of the Zeitgeist for so long, uh, over decades. What do you attribute that to? What is really the, the main brand driver to keep you this current even today? Uh, that's a very good question. I would say that uh, the secret recipe of a longevity is to have a, a long-term and sustainable vision. And uh, we have been very, very consistent with the Michelin Guide. You know, uh, from one country to another, from one year, to another, and we never compromise on the quality of the selection to make sure that uh, you can always compare all decisions and we have a very consistent approach and methodology. But there are so many people or organizations that have tried to compete with you from the Beard Awards to World's 50 Best, etc. Is it by just sticking to your knitting, as they say? I would say, again, back to the consistency, uh, consistency also provides a trust mm. of the end user. And the, the mission guide is respected by the gourmet as well as by the chef because they know that it is a real benchmark. And so they can refer to it, they can trust the mission guide recommendation, and they will have a good experience. And I, I think as a, as a consumer and as a... Um a well-traveled gourmet as well. Um, well the, the fact that, I, I mean, I, I know I will do it and I know you will probably do it as well. We'll go into a restaurant that may not be Michelin star and we'll come out and say, actually, that deserves to have a Michelin star. Um, so the, that, that is your indirect marketing. It's yeah. just fascinating yeah. because when you think about, and we were talking about this briefly, I mean, earlier, 
you know, even things like the Oscars, right? I mean, this year with what happened a few days ago, there's a strong feeling that maybe the Oscars are no longer as relevant or as impactful as they used to be. So this is kind of similar in a way, but you guys have really stood the test of time. And one of the issues that came up at the Oscars many years ago, a couple of years ago, was, for example, that it was frankly very white. Everybody, you know, the jury was essentially a, a bunch of white men and the world had moved on. Do you look into that when you compose your uh, selection of uh, inspectors that go across the world? Again, we have no quota. We award and recognize the quality of the food. So for me, you know, uh, as a benchmark, we can uh, talk about the Olympics. Mm. No, you have, to, you have to be good. And we are quite open-minded because we, uh, you can look at the, all the different cultures all the different people making the teams. So we are... We are you recruit locally active. or not? No, I think you're talking specifically about you're, the inspectors, the, inspectors. the team of Rafa, yes. ah, the you, you mean, yes. sorry, yes. I was yeah. talking about the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the restaurant choice. Yeah. And of course, oh, no quotas in terms of a restaurant, a restaurant choice, just a quality. No, no, understood. Okay. I meant the inspectors, sorry. No, for, for the inspectors, uh, of course, I can't share too many specific informations uh, to avoid giving them away. Do they wear pink? <laughs> Sometimes. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, we also uh, have more and more female inspectors. And today we have more than 15 uh, different nationalities making the international inspectors network. Are you able to switch off and take off your Michelin hat and go enjoy a restaurant? So I can tell you from an operator perspective, I find it hard when I go to places. And I, I think Samantha has a, a similar but different approach to this in the sense of being a food critic. I find it very hard not to focus on things that I see in my own restaurants. So, you know, <laughs> it makes for a very different experience. Are you able to take off that hat and go and just have a meal and not think about... Frankly, it's quite difficult because <laughs> I can't change my face. And, uh, okay, I'm and pretty much recognized. Um, yeah. So, uh, no, it's quite, it's quite difficult uh, for me to be a regular guest. My, my father's a retired hotelier. And to this day, and I've inherited this from him, um, he cannot have his back to a restaurant. Um, so where we're sitting oh, now is, is right? fine, but where you're sitting... Um, because? Uh, yeah, Gwendolyn. Because, because he needs to, needs to see. see. And I, um, even if I'm, if I'm going out, celebrate my birthday or whatever, or a friend's birthday, yeah, I need to see the whole restaurant. I cannot. I get... Um, Palpitations. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a bit of a <laughs> so it's of a, a curse in a way. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, is it a tough one for you to answer? And I expect maybe you're not able to. What? What? Would you have a favorite restaurant? Or you can't say, I guess. You know, like the inspectors, I like to change to to move from one place to another and to stick to the guidelines, never twice to the same place. To remain open-minded, and uh, the inspectors used to say that you know the best meal. Is the one to come. What if you go to a city that doesn't have Michelin? Are you able to then relax and say, well, you know, we're not covering this place anyway, so I might as well just have a good time? It's really depending <laughs> where, because there are today so many destinations willing to get the Michelin, uh, the Michelin <laughs> guide, the Michelin guide rec uh, recognition. So uh, in some remote places, uh, I can uh, still uh, have a, a lunch uh, and enjoy it quietly, but uh, less and less. So do, do you enjoy... Um Staying at home and cooking, eating at home because and what this do is you very cook? much your day job. Yeah. No, obviously, uh, I love to, to cook for myself and for my children. And uh, again, I like to experiment as well. 
So what do you cook for your children? Give us oh, one example. No, it's, it, 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 it's, it's really depending again, because uh, I'm always trying to something new. Okay. And something, it can be, sometimes it can be a total failure. But what, what I love with the children is their curiosity about food. You know, they are really, really open-minded. And they are willing, you know, to say, to say something new. And uh, it's what uh, really I enjoy when I am trying a new recipe. And do you try and replicate a restaurant recipe, maybe? Sometimes. If you've, if you've had a dish that's totally Sometimes, amazed but, uh, you, that's I am not, not too hard, yeah. Eating every day at home at star level. <laughs> One just last question I had for you. How has media changed the perception of food in your opinion? So, for example, we have now Netflix series about food, you know, chefs that... Chef's Table. Chef's Table, which is very, very popular. Have you felt that this has changed the way people think about food and what quality is, because it's become performative in many ways, right? I think one, one of the collective achievements is really to, to make uh, the chef position an attractive one, you know, to give uh, recognition to the real doers. And uh, but all, all, all the TVs, all the media, they are, they are participa participating in, in making that happen, you know, as well. So giving recognition to the back of our house staff. Today, I think one of the challenge uh, is uh, providing recognition to, to the people working for the service, you know, because uh, that's also part of the global experience. And in many countries today, you know, one of the main challenge for the industry is the lack of staff. And how do you think of social media, which has become such an important part of food viewing? and restaurant uh, movements. But you know, the more we talk about food, uh, the better it is uh, ah, for, all, for, for all of us. And, uh, you know, with the, with the Michelin Guide, uh, we have all, all, also a very, very engaged community of uh, gourmet. They keep on sharing online. And let's say for us, uh, obviously, having a community around the guide, around the, the ratings makes absolutely sense. And uh, let's not forget that the chef today, they also are key influencers online. So they talk about uh, a lot about food, they share between themselves, they have, uh, you know, their own followers, and uh, they have a lot of impact. And also potentially why, why you recruit your inspectors from the industry. I mean, you, you've been very vocal that your inspectors have to have worked in the industry um, to qualify. Yeah, you know, they, they definitely they, they all have a background, uh, mostly in the restaurant industry, some of them in the hospitality uh, industry. We also have uh, former sommelier, for example, you know, so the different, uh, different profiles, of course. And uh, then when they join, uh, they join the Michelin Guide, uh, we have to train them as well to, to be consistent in their own approach, to experience different styles of cuisine, so they travel also for the, for the training. And we used to say at Michelin that uh, to be a qualified Michelin Guide inspector, you need at least three years on the field. So that means not far from 1,000 meals working for the Michelin Guide. One last question from me. Um, so the guide launches in June. Is there going to be a big bash Dubai style? Is it, what, what are you planning? Oh, we are still working on it. So that would be the surprise. Thank you very much. That Thank was, uh, you. Thank you so much. A huge learning for us as well. Yeah. It is. Thank you. Okay, so that was revealing. Samantha, um, do you think he was uh, 
too well media trained. Like uh, I was, felt like I tried to push him, which I maybe or maybe my mistake that I said I'm going to push you. I'm not going to do this again. Yeah, I think yeah, you said that at the beginning <laughs> again. Yeah, so yeah, um, he was so slick, very well media trained. Yeah. Um, I think we tried, our, uh, we did our best, um, Hashem. Um, we tried to dig deep a little bit. Um, I think he has shared some insights. But um, look, I understand his position, so I interrupt you. Like, I mean, if I'm the international director, it's I think it's difficult to say too much. So I think it's important that he walked us through the process, which I hope our listeners um, understand better now. I feel I understand it a little bit better. It's not the easiest process, to be very fair, but I can understand that he cannot go too deep into the ins and outs because you know a lot of people might then think you know he's. He's sort of jeopardizing um, the, the actual process. Yeah, and I think also the key insight is the fact that all the five criteria link back to food. Yes. It's about quality of food yeah. above anything else. And I think it's an important message for all the restaurants and the chefs out there. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I completely respect their process. And it's obviously a process that has worked very well for decades. We spoke to them about this. We said that it's timeless. They have really stayed above the freight, so to speak, for so long. Having said that, you know, as a consumer of restaurants, let's say, it's very hard to think of it this way, in this purist, very purist way, right? You go into a restaurant, if I were a, a, one of their um, critics or one of their inspectors, very hard for me to not take in the rest, ambiance, decor, service, etc. So it's so interesting that they've maintained this purist approach for, you know, over, I mean, decades, literally. And I think that's part of the, the heritage with Michelin is they've always had this mystique around Correct. it. Um, so it's not just that he's well media trained. Um, it's, yes. it's, it's part of the company's ethos. It's kind of like, I don't know, going to Harvard. Like they're not going to give you all the details of why this particular and, and person actually, came if in. we're going to compare to 50 Best, 50 Best, all it asks its judges is to name their best restaurants. That's it. Mm. no other criteria. So that is open for interpretation. That's very so interesting. So actually, in comparison, Michelin actually gives you a lot more guidance. Uh, guidance. That's so 100%. interesting. Yeah. Well, look, I think this is terrific. Thank you for uh, co-hosting today. I think it's great that we have Michelin on board, that we have them in Dubai. I think it's a very exciting and frankly, to some extent, I don't want to be dramatic about it, but a turning point for Dubai that all of these big awards are now coming here. I think that the media hopefully will pick up on it now and we will start seeing this even more of a serious food destination over the next couple of years. 100%, and it's actually within the space of six months. Um, uh, we've, yeah, amazing. We'll have, uh, we will have had, um, yeah, three major announcements as well um, from an uh, awards perspective. So yeah, fantastic news. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Do you feel your personal list in any way will be impacted because now you're going to have well, three different lists, right? I mean, I know they're very different than yours, but I'm just wondering, um, because you're going to be reading these lists, you're going to take on, would you in some way subconsciously, for example, think, oh, this particular name was here, but it's not on my list? Or are you able to block this out like Michelin does with the interiors and the, the service? Well, like I said, when we did that, the 50 best interview, um, I purposely, I, I normally bring out my guide middle of January. 
But because of 50 best coming on board, I um, I knew it would be. I'm, I'm being very practical and very honest with my yes. business. I knew it would be overshadowed. From a perspective, the, the guide, my guide will continue. And it is a very much a Dubai guide. As I, I always say, it's my sort of top restaurants. It's not necessarily best restaurants. It's Correct. a very personal list. It's a bucket Which list. I, love. I think what's really interesting with these guides, these international guides, is to see what does an outsider think of our restaurant scene? Because um, we all know, we all bandy around the, the, the same names pretty much in terms of go-to restaurants. Um, so I think it's, it's, it brings a different perspective. Um, of course, I'm going to look at the list. Will it influence me? Absolutely not. Because um, if, if anything, I might be, well, hang on, why did you put that um, restaurant in that yeah. guide and and i'm i'm very much only homegrown as well um but you're so very good also at not being in an echo chamber i have to say so i've noticed that you're able to keep pushing out for some of the hidden gems and so on and so forth and not just focus on because you're right there are a few names invariably every year that sort of everybody talks about and sometimes they've been around for a while but they kind of come back in the forefront but i feel you're able to keep that tune that out a little bit when I look at the way you're reviewing and the way you're adding to your lists and constantly push forward, especially that piece of hidden gems, smaller restaurants, ones that people will not find easily. Yeah. And actually, even when it comes to my restaurant reviews, I purposely, once I've, I've identified sort of a list of restaurants to review over the next few weeks, months, I purposely don't read any reviews of it. Just reading a review as well, there could just be one thing in there that influences you um, and could be the making of that, of your own review. And that, that's why I kind of try to distance myself. And then once I've published it, I'll go and read other, other And reviews. how important yeah. is the writing, right? I was thinking about the writing. For me, the writing is really important. In other words, it's not just the review, it's actually the description that is so fantastic. And we spoke about a, a friend of mine, Deborah Kletter, the late Deborah Kletter. And what a, part of what I used to love about her reviews that she would send me is, I just fell in love with her writing. The wit, you know, the, the, they came, literally came alive. In fact, sometimes the writing to me was, I'm not going to say more important than the restaurant, but, you know, brought it out in such a way that, you know, maybe didn't match necessarily the actual experience. Yeah, 100%. And I, I follow the UK restaurant critics um, and generally tend to read most of their reviews, especially the contentions. Well, you can get three quarters into that review and they haven't talked about the food yet. Yeah. It's pure entertainment. Yeah. And, I, and I say that it's and I go back to, to the reviews um, of restaurants that have been negative. It's actually, unless every person in town um, writes a negative review on that particular restaurant, it's actually going to help your business yeah. because people talk about the negative reviews a lot. They're the ones that yeah. go viral. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, no one wants to read good news. Yeah. So actually um, a negative review or a more negative review will just encourage more discussion on that restaurant. It's so yeah. interesting. All right. Well, thank yeah. you very much. Um, we look forward to having many more. Yes, I hope so too. Very excited. And thank happy thank birthday you very again. much, Hashem. I'm really honored to be um, oh, co-hosting this sweet. one with thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's it from us for this episode. Thank you for joining us once again on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hashem Montasser, and my co-host, Samantha Wood. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find on any of your podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. You can find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. Again, that's connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks.